right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast, Monday edition. Uh, we re- we hadn't really budgeted in that Rory was going to go absolutely apeshit this past weekend <laughs> and win the Canadian Open. Uh, kind of thought we had turned the page towards the U.S. Open. Uh, hopefully you got a chance to listen to our uh, preview podcast episode that went up last night with Shane Bacon, who of course will be calling the event for Fox. We're going to talk a bit more uh, U.S. Open, make our picks and stuff on the back half of this. First, we want to discuss Rory's runaway win. Uh, is there such a thing as a bad 61? Like a really disappointing <laughs> final round 61 to win a tournament by seven? I'm going to say no. I think that I think he's probably pretty pleased with that one. No, yesterday. I mean, he bogeyed 16 and 18. Like it was, well, people, people were say actually, he can't finish. People I were actually we mad. we saw a little bit of that yesterday. People were mad at him like laying back with iron on the 18th hole. It's like, guys, like there's a creek. Like, <laughs> like there's a reason why everybody hits iron on 18, but also he hits his nine iron, like 190 yards. Yeah. So I don't think there distance, is really isn't any leg back. Distance isn't really the issue. Uh, Solly here. DJ pie is here. As you heard, big Randy is here. How are we feeling on this Monday morning? Hey Randy, guys, how are you doing, man? Oh, feeling, feeling great. Yeah. Yeah. How couple, are the legs holding up? A couple of days to uh, refresh the body after Greenville. We're, we're great. We're going to talk a little bit. Uh, we're going to bore you guys a bit about Greenville here shortly, but, uh, why don't we go right into the first question, um, what we have about Rory. We've got some great voicemails. We're going to try to get through all of them here. Hi, this is Matt calling from Indianapolis, Indiana, from a bar because it's the cup. We were wondering, the podcast mentioned today, they'd like to see Rory start to focus on his wedge game, a la DJ three to four years ago. Wondering, do we think there's any chance that Rory is not focusing on his wedges, given his stats from 75 to 100 yards, or is this just more focus and hot take from the group? Cheers. It's a good question. I think we've talked to, we've talked a lot about Rory's wedges on this podcast in particular. And uh, the, the part of that question that really caught my attention was like, are we, are we insinuating in some way that Rory's not working on his wedges, which I think that would be a mistake to assume. Uh, of course we are not all there at Rory's practice sessions, but I would imagine somebody who's as good at driving it as he is, he practices his wedges more than he does any of the other, you know, chrome clubs in his bag. So uh, on that note, he said uh, his stats from 75 to 100 yards. So he does rank 206th in that category. That may be a bit alarming. That's a tough scene. There's 17 attempts in that. Okay. And it's an average number. So like if you have one bad wedge that, you know, you hit to 100 feet or whatever, that could very much skew what your average proximity to the hole is. And if we're looking at the stats closer from 50, sorry, from 125 to 150, he's fifth. From 150 to 175, he's ninth, which honestly, that's still kind of close to wedge territory for Rory. And from 175 to 200, he's eighth. So he's doing quite well approaching the green this year. Um, so I don't know. We've talked a lot about it. He mentioned it. We asked him about it two years ago when we was, he was on the podcast about how he has so much speed and how he does struggle a bit controlling the the spin and kind of the flash speed he has at the bottom has a gives him some distance control issues. But I, in no way, shape, or form, do I think that he's not practicing his wedges. It's so easy to talk about, and it's so easy to forget that this is literally 
in a lot of cases like the only thing guys do <laughs> it's like think about golf yeah so yeah i don't the idea that he's not aware of that is uh is pretty is pretty heady uh that, that's quite a take to have i think it does make you kind of appreciate the the dustin stuff as much as we kind of laughed at it at the time you know the whole uh, you know i'm gonna just get on track man and, and get really really good with my wedges uh he kind of walked the walk on that right i mean it's it kind of just watching rory a little bit makes you makes you kind of you know even more appreciative of of what dustin's been able to do the last couple of years is it though? Because like Dustin has been great with his wedges, but I think it kind of has turned into this thing where all we do is talk about how he uses TrackMan to sort out his wedges. And like I think kind of to their point, and I, I don't know the specific broadcast point he's referring to here, but kind of to their point, it's kind of like, well, we talk so much about, you know, Dustin practicing his wedges and we don't talk about Roar. It's like, I think that's, I would look internal with that more than I would yeah. like Dustin practices his wedges and Rory does not. Randy, what do you think? Uh, so I have a couple of thoughts here. Um, I'm always a bit leery of these statistics. I, I don't, it just seems like a lot of variables and and it could be very much uh, misguided on, on my end, but it strikes me that the first thing I feel like, you know, Rory has so little attempts, like where are guys hitting a lot of 75 to 100 yard wedges? It's probably guys who are laying up on par fives mm-hmm. uh, and, and Rory's probably, you know, green side and two. So, um, you know, he, if you were laying up to let's say 80 yards consistently on par fives i i think you know as as he would record more measurements um i I would assume his accuracy would improve a little bit and also with that said like I, i so what i would like to see the putting percentages brought in here too because you know he's two 206th i guess and his average um, length that he leaves himself after these 75 to 100 yard shots is like 24 feet to get into the top 100 he'd have to be about 17 and a half feet like what's the difference in made putts make, yeah. made putt like is it even that big of a what are we talking about maybe one made putt a week which could be a big deal but it's still the you know, stat itself is kind of misleading i don't really care that much about the average proximity like i care how many you're hitting close and being right. able to convert into birdies right and like basically your your ability to make birdie from that position is the question more than it is proximity. Of course, hitting it closer is going to lead to a more likelihood of birdies. But, you know, if he's hitting every one of these balls to 24 feet, I think that's an issue. I doubt that is, I most definitely doubt that is the case. He's probably hitting plenty close and then there's plenty that are in that range where he just two putts. Yeah. So and, I think net net, like like you said, I'm sure he's working on his wedges. I'm yeah. sure he's aware that of, of the areas he has to improve on. But I, I don't know if we're getting quite the full story that, you know, might be implied by just saying, oh, he's 206 in wedges from this distance. It's like, well, it's... And just to show that how, and I'm not saying that this is an indictment of, of DJ's wedge play, but to show how kind of random that stat can be, from 100 to 125 yards, DJ's 189th on tour. Yet from 75 to 100 with only 21 attempts, he's 24th. Like I don't, know, I don't really think that gives us a whole lot, other than like Rory's stats from between 125 and 175 being in the top 10 in every one of those increments, and or sorry, between 100 and 175, that probably explains a lot of the reason why he is number one on tour in strokes gained tee to green. He's been the best ball striker in the world this past year. Yeah, well, and, and I think that's that's where like if you subscribe and and believe in all these shot gain stuff, well, I'm not saying don't believe in him but it's like he's number one overall so <laughs> I, I think the big takeaway for me is like he's, he just doesn't hit many of these shots so I, I think setting up a, a practice plan to 
devote a ton of time to shots that you're not going to hit that often is is actually maybe not the best way to go about things so well i think this begs the question and watching it yesterday watching him just vaporize the field made me wonder and kind of fear like has rory evolved into a he seems to be the quintessential and he has made his schedule around the pga tour and has you know he's been the company line guy talking about the fedex cup and all that stuff is he like the like user computer generated pga tour player now and maybe not the best weapon for major championships expound on that why do you think that is like really long good at keeping it in soft fairways and flipping wedges and taking it deep when he has to and posting low numbers Uh, the whole time i'm watching this yesterday i'm kind of like okay like yeah this is he's clearly going to run away with this this doesn't really change what i think about pebble like no not at all you know and it was funny to hear how many uh almost like negative thoughts there were like oh great He's going to go out and shoot 59 today. Now there's no way he's going to win, <laughs> which is like, which again is like, man, maybe we're just, uh, there might be too much analysis going on. <laughs> I, I think that's interesting though. Cause what I'm hearing is, you know, that the week to week tour setups are getting less and less like the major stops. And it's more uniform. Like it's, they're more similar to each other. The, the majors, the, the PGA tour stops, the tour week stops. Week yeah. are more similar to each other. And the, and, and the majors, the major stops are getting a little more similar to each other too. Probably. Well, looking at the PGA and the U S open looking and, at Brooks wins all of them. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> but like the, to the point, like, all right, now Rory's winning. He used to win a lot of majors. He's winning now a ton of PGA tour events. Kepka winning all the majors doesn't win any other PGA tour events. Does that have, it might be kind of looking at it a little too closely, but um, I don't know. I don't go. I, like I said, that doesn't change the way. And Rory, with the, his relationship with the U.S. Open and USGA, is it's unique to say the least. I and mean, I think he's missed the last three cuts at U.S. Opens. And I, I what don't want to say U.S. He, Open that he did win. Well, it, it was, was yeah PGA Tour. That <laughs> yeah, was, that was a under PGA par. Tour setup. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to say he loses the U.S. Open before he shows up, but I think his his attitude and angst towards the USGA it doesn't help him. It has yeah. not helped him in the past. Yeah, that's gonna be fascinating to watch. I, I was kind of thinking that I hadn't put as much eloquent thought uh, into it as you did, but that, I was kind of thinking about that a little bit yesterday. He's almost, he's almost turned into the other side of the the Brooks coin. You know, there's right. watching those two uh, and the different ways they go about it is is gonna be interesting. I think to say the least. For and the I don't want to turn what he did yesterday into a negative in any way. No, and no, I'm, and yeah. I'm, I'm not like I, I've been adamant. And, I, and you know, when I did tweet that about the PGA about him. He's been top 10 in every other event this year, except for the majors, which then he ended up backdooring a top 10 at the PGA. <laughs> um, and he missed the cut in Memorial, but uh, it, literally every PGA Tour event he's played, other than that missed cut at Memorial, he's finished top 10. And he's now he's won two of them. Still somehow isn't number one in the FedEx Cup, which is absolutely amazing and wonderful. And Shout out to the wraparound season. Tremendous and so on brand for no one knows what the hell this thing is to begin with, but... Uh, no, I, I, I was, I didn't mean to, 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 you know, make what happened yesterday into a negative in any way, but we all know, like we're watching it all thinking about next week. Like it's it, yeah. how it relates to next week. That's just the way it is. Which I think is, uh, it's hard to, for me to like think through this personally because I worked at the PJ tour for so long. And so I was so focused on the PJ tour for so long and, uh, you know, not kind of having that obligation now to really watch every week if I don't have to. I'm curious what you guys think, like the gap between the importance of majors and the importance of PJ tour events seems like it's 
growing wider and wider and wider? Or is that me just becoming more and more disillusioned? This is Randy's block. Well, yeah. And I actually thought about that. I, I, it's just the wake of, of Tiger's greatness. I, I think, you know, we're, we're so close to a truly generational player where, you know, people coming immediately behind him, it's just not going to elicit the same reaction it otherwise would. I, I think you can see this in other sports, you know, basketball, there was a, a dark period after Jordan retired and, and you almost have to wait a certain amount of time um, and, and let a new generation grow up before they can truly become excited like with their own players. And so I think for us who grew up in the Tiger era, you know, kind of came of age in that, it's like, yeah, if you're not kind of winning two majors a year, like it just doesn't seem <laughs> that, you know, impressive. Um, so to answer your question, I think so. I think that's that's probably our our experience and i think you know kids who are golf fans and will grow up in the next 10 to 20 years where tigers you know all they'll do is hear about him they won't have watched him they won't you know he'll just be a name in the record book uh they will start to latch on to people in their generation and and get excited for each major win and and accomplishment i agree with all that on on kind of the macro (laughs) level but i think even I mean, even thinking about like when Tiger wasn't playing and again, like this is probably total bias for, you know, working at the tour, but like the 2014 Canadian Open, like I would have felt a lot different than even watching yesterday when Rory's decimating the field. You know, it's even like, like if Rory's not leading yesterday, like I'm, I don't even know if I'm tuning in, uh, like I'm not tuning in to watch Webb battle like Kuchar down the stretch. Like that doesn't, that doesn't really interest me. And, and I'm curious if that's, just me or if that's other people and listeners and if it's you guys and and just kind of how people are starting to feel about week to week events the the crux of the question is everybody talks about you know kind of oversaturation of of pj tour events and no off season and every week just kind of starts to blend together and look the same i'm curious if that has any effect if that's turning into a real life thing or if that's just in my imagination i was trying to explain this to some relatives this past weekend and i don't know what the proper we can come up with one i, I was saying the cycle i was and i was picturing like uh, and the motion i'm like making refuge, right now the is, cycle yeah the message the the uh the motion i'm making currently is kind of like a tornado like things going around in a circle and i think it's super hard and you know again part of the reason why we're so hard on coverage and, and all the the things that go around professional golf is it's so hard to get in that cycle as a player and like spring 2015 jordan spieth pre-winning the masters wasn't in the cycle yet like when they didn't show him at riviera when they showed him first hole he played was the 18th hole and he bogeyed it to miss the playoff by one it's because he wasn't in the cycle yet rory's in the cycle so he is he is we care about rory because we know about rory so we're going to show you rory because people care about rory and it's this it's around in a circle and you got all these guys that kind of swim around the outside that can't get in for whatever reason. The stories haven't been told. They don't go further than saying like the three normal facts about somebody when they're shown on the broadcast. It's like, I don't have an example offhand, but something like the Max Homa win at Wells Fargo. Again, we're probably very biased here because we're friends with Max and he's been on the podcast and was maybe our favorite podcast guest. But all the reaction to that, at least online, was incredible because people knew felt like they knew him through like hearing his story. And that's something that I don't think is being done because everything is so sanitized and branded and there's just no presentation of people that you should care about. Now I'm not saying like every young player, you know, that we've had on should be, you know, megaphone by the PGA tour, but make people care about these people. And that's very cyclical because you're, you're trying to pay off the short term of 
we got to show Rory, we got to do this and we got to do this. People know him, people know him. People don't know, you know, so-and-so Shane Lowry that well, because it's not somebody that people you've given a reason to care about. That's why I was hard on the Graham McDowell thing yesterday. It was like, you like, we can only care about like what you tell us to carry, care about. Like if you want to build up, you can, you're responsible for building up the drama for him needing to par the last hole to play the open championship in his hometown. Something has been talked about on TV for the last five months or whatever it is like that. Like give us a reason to care about, set that up. Like you, you can create this drama and then kind of give us the chance to enjoy it and go through that angst that he was probably going through in the last hole. As the Paul is rolling towards the cup, Jim Nance going like, he needs this putt to qualify for the Open Championship and it's up and it's in. And it's like, no, like do drama. Like give us, give us a reason why we should care about this. Show the human interest. Show him like waiting out shots on that last hole, knowing how much that means to him. And like that would have been interesting yesterday. Watching, you know, the Webb Simpson grind out over 15 foot par putts was not that interesting. There so. was a lot of like, this is for solo second. Yeah. Like, who gives a fuck <laughs> where Webb Simpson finishes? Candidly, I, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But so, so quick thoughts. I don't want to beat this to death, but I, I think one to answer your question. I, I just think it's so personal, right? Like it's it's probably like where you are in your life, and you know what yeah, your job is curious. now. I'm and, curious if there's any kind of macro feeling here that's outside of myself, and maybe not. Maybe there's. I not. mean, I don't know if we can answer that quite honestly, yeah. and it it's might more just of a call be for like, feedback. Yeah, people. and and maybe like you know, what are the metrics to even measure something like that? Like TV ratings. I feel like you know, is that the best? Like me personally, I always cared about the West Coast swing and then, you know, kind of made, like, I don't know if I've ever cared about June golf, yeah. like even before yeah. doing this, like, it's just, it was a time of the year where I was, it was summer in the Midwest and you're out and it's just not a part of, you know, anything really on my radar, maybe save for like a really good leaderboard or, or something like that. So I, I don't know. I, I think it's a tricky question to answer. I've always contended once the Masters starts, like, you know when tiger plays like maybe memorial but anything else like it's just the majors once that comes around well and that was the other the other half of the conversation is like i have never been more excited for a u.s open than this u.s open this is going to be so psyched so it's it's so weird to have the 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 disparity never was that big in my life i guess that's what i'm trying to say and so waking up you know yesterday sunday morning versus waking up next sunday morning like the difference in those two feelings has never been bigger right like in my life oh for sure um, i would hazard if you were punching the clock at a office that had nothing to do with golf i would hazard that you would be like more interested week to week but you know yeah, that's maybe. where it's like I, sometimes you get too close to it i, I don't yeah, know that's that's true why don't we get to the uh next caller here we'll slide along but before we do that, I'm not done uh, talking about the Callaway Golf Truvis golf balls. If you listened to last night's episode, I told you about the suits that they just came out with, the spades, hearts, diamonds, and clubs, as well as the stars and stripes. I don't know if you watched the U.S. Women's Open. Uh, Morgan Pressel had the stars and stripe Truvis balls in play. But now I want to talk to you guys about the stigma around playing the soccer ball style. I'm going to be the first to admit to you the first time I saw these. I thought they looked stupid. I thought anyone that would play them would be stupid. I have no idea how you could hit a golf ball that looked like that. But then I tried it, and I'm encouraging all of you. Don't You don't have to necessarily run out, sprint out, and buy it. They are available in retail at, and at CallawayGolf.com. But if you see somebody with one, if you find one, just try it. Try chipping with it. Try putting with it. I promise you're going to like the way the ball rolls. You're going to like seeing the spin when you do chip it. 
And even hitting full shots, I find my eye just focuses on the spot patterns better. And uh, I don't know. I honestly have been making better contact with the ball since I put it in play. So I'm honestly fully converted. You've heard me say that, and I'm sticking with the Truvises. I'm having Chad send me just boxes and boxes more of all the different styles. So go to CallawayGolf.com for more. They're also available in retail stores. Just try it. I promise. And if you don't like it, that's fine, but I'm guessing you are going to like it. Let's get to our next caller. Hi, boys. This is Sarah from Vancouver. First time, long time. I might be a little bit biased, but I want to say how great the Canadian fans were this week. And I was just wondering what you guys thought about the tour bringing another Canadian stop and where you would think that should be and what city and course should host it. Failing that, I was wondering if you guys had any plans for a tour at Sauce Up in Canada. Anyways, take care. Sarah might be first-time caller, but she is not first-time contributor. No, yeah, I, I think I know who that Sarah is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, glad, I'm glad she's calling. Yeah. She is always quick to, to submit topics, which is greatly appreciated. Uh, I That was one thing that really stuck out to me yesterday watching the broadcast. That 18th hole, that amphitheater they had around the... And it wasn't grandstands. I, I don't know why. I'm a sucker for a good amphitheater around 18 with people yeah. sitting on a hill. Riviera. For, yes, versus grandstands. I'm trying to think of what the other... Muirfield is a good one. Travelers, Travelers I think, has so, one a little bit. As, as I was yeah, watching Muirfield's that, really good. I was like, there are two events uh, that stick out to me on TV watching. Like this one, like that 18th green scene and Travelers. The 18th green yeah. are the ones that are like, whoa, like people... CBS did a great job, I thought, of hammering home how much this meant to Canadian fans. And it felt, I felt that watching it, which is credit to them. That and, and that contributed towards me feeling like it was a bigger deal. I mean, it didn't help that Rory just demolished everyone, but it did feel like a very, very big deal. They did a great job covering the Canadians, covering the low Canadian, the comp, the contest for the low Canadian, et cetera. And it was a great, great golf course. So I, I was really intrigued by that. I think you may have some stats for us on the, uh, like the strength of field and this new spot. I was curious to see like what the new spot on the schedule it used to be after the British Open presented by Her Majesty. And now it's right before a major, but it is a local, obviously the U.S. Open. So what uh, what, what did the field? Yeah, I don't really know that much about strength of field. I mean, I know the higher the number, the better, the, you know, the better the field is. But brief explanation I was, is like that. It doesn't matter what the Euro Tour strength of field is. They're going to get a ton of world ranking points, but continue. <laughs> I was slipping in a little. Yeah. Thank you for that unbiased report. Uh but yeah, strength of field was up to 314 this year, which I had no real frame of reference until starting to dig into some of the past years. And I think I went all the way back to like 2010 or something when it was it was down as far as like 180 was where it bottomed out. This is the highest it's been since then. So yeah, I think everybody who was kind of worried like, oh God, it's the week before a major. I think there's, it's weird. This stuff used, seems to kind of like go in cycles with, with certain guys. Some guys are obsessed with playing the week before a major. It seems like Brooks is really in that category. I think he had some comments this week where... You know, he's basically kind of saying like, in so many words, he's kind of saying like, okay, look, I just need to, I haven't really played much. I need to go just kind of dust off the, uh, dust off the cobwebs and, and get myself in shape for next week. I think that was at the root of a lot of his like, yeah, I don't really care where I finish type of comments. Uh, but I mean, Rory, Rory seems to be like that. I think Ricky was like that for a while. Now he seems like he's kind of switched back the other way. And then you also have obviously the RBC, you know, contingent. So RBC's done an awesome job just you know i know we don't like talking about the the hashtag brands that much but rbc's done a good job of of pumping a lot of life into that tournament and making sure they have these guys on these kind of you know whether it's one-year contracts or one-week contracts or whatever they are but you get the, you know guys like dustin there are no appearance fees on the pga exactly, tour i don't totally. know what you're insinuating yeah here, there, there might have been some guys doing some uh lucrative clinics this week <laughs> as well but um yeah you had uh you guys like dustin and uh, snedeker and whoever else is kind of on the 
hashtag team RBC. Um, so yeah, it, it turned into a, turned into a really cool week. It's just it got it, it, and I don't mean to keep beating this drum, but it's it's just getting so 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 hard to separate yourself from other PJ Tour events. So it's almost like you know if you can have something as as uh, like binary as as this, like we are the week before a major, like shit, maybe that turns into a helper instead of a herder. You know, it's kind of cool to to see that happen, I guess. Which I think works, to, I thought might work against them, I think does work to their benefit. Because if you lay it out, just like in any four random order, US Open, Memorial, Travelers, and RBC, Canadian Open, Canadian Open probably ranks fourth, like for what yeah. guys would want to play. However, it going, you know, being the week before the major, it is now like, okay, I want to rep, I want to play the week before it. You know, you, it's it's a lot to ask guys to play all four of those. And that's probably maybe like the best four week stretch of the year before we really kind of hit this summer break of like, all right, it's time to it's time to take some time off. Yeah, I got a I got a tinfoil hat Ooh. take for you. Uh, just just came to me, but I would love to track the amount of private aviation that's gone on like over the last 10 years, like how much more prevalent that's been, because I think that probably has a big factor over these like week before the major strength of field you mean like the sponsor flying guys to the next event that and also just like the amount of guys who fly private that like way more guys fly like it's weird both way less guys than you would think and way more guys (laughs) than you would think fly private like you'll hear names of of guys like oh yeah i jumped a jet and it's like really like how are you flying private that doesn't (laughs) seem like it makes sense uh, but yeah, just it, it's never been easier to get from event to event, I guess, is my point. So I'm well, guessing things like that that probably hurt, you know, hurt tournaments in the 70s and 80s and 90s, like probably just are not that big of a deal anymore. I could be wrong on this, but RBC, I know this RBC used to fly guys from the British Open presented by Her Majesty yeah. to the RBC. Now they are flying guys from the RBC to the US Open. And I'm pretty sure Travelers flies people from the U.S. Open to the Travelers. Yep. John Deere. John Deere sends people to the people British to Open. People to the British Open. So, yeah, there's a lot of... So, that's those are like the big charters. Like It's basically like everybody getting on a, a really nice Greyhound bus. You know, it's like they basically rent out like a... It's a normal play. 757 yeah. or whatever. And, and so, it's all like players and their families. But... Yeah, then there's also just the guys who, you know, net jets or wheels up or whatever and I got go from f- event to event. I got to fly on the one from Malaysia to Korea in the fall and I was thinking like, oh my God, this is going to be sick. <laughs> it was like very, like almost below average flight. It was a, a very normal plane, very normal normal service and there wasn't even in-flight entertainment for like the six hour flight. So. This guy's playing Candy Crush or something. Yeah, and everyone like was like passed hours. out. It was not nearly as fun as I thought it was going to be. I was talking to one player about it. Uh, I re- Actually, I wrote a story it was billy horschel wrote a story on pjtour.com about it like years ago and it was for a media day and like so a lot of times to get guys to do these media days like they have to get a plane for him to go from from one place to the other and um so it was like me and him on the plane i was asking about i was like this whole thing's like kind of ridiculous right like flying private seems like it kind of just it you know is this like really necessary kind of a thing i said it a little nicer than that but he was explaining it and he's kind of like well if you really think about it Think about like going on a Monday or Sunday night, like getting, think of the difference of getting there between, you know, Sunday night instead of waking up Monday morning to go to the airport. Think about like how much more practice you can get in. Think about all these different things and think about whether like, who knows, maybe you read one putt on Monday morning that you would have missed that you hit differently and it saved you one shot. He's like, go look at the difference in payouts between, you know. 13th and 20th and like yeah like it's worth it (laughs) if you can if you can save yourself like it can be you can really justify it and so that kind of shifted my 
my thinking i'm much less cynical of of uh private aviation randy obviously we got to talk about carbon footprint and all that kind of stuff but that's a whole other conversation well, thank you i'm i'm glad it's at least on your radar um well, i was hoping that guy was gonna say th- this like me saving a day is worth more than your whole life <laughs> <laughs> that's probably yeah i'm sure so there's some players who would, who would <laughs> mentally phrase it that way uh real quick just a couple of things sarah hit on i i think if there were to be a second canadian event i think oh, a, yeah. a good place to slide it in might be like one of the opposite events like you know i don't i actually hope Barbersall does well outside lexington it's it's a tournament i'd like to go to it's close to cincinnati but it seems like it might make sense opposite um, a WGC or, or yeah. a major. Um, and then, of course, you know, we always talk about, like, it'd be cool to have a Pacific Northwest. Um, yeah. You know. I know they've, they've had the Canadian Open in, in Vancouver before, not for a long time. But um, Well, I was just getting ready to say, I mean, you said opposite WGC. I mean, a dream world to have a w- send a WGC yeah, yeah. up there. The, the Memphis one that nobody, I don't think, is, yeah. no fans are really looking forward to in any way. And, like, send, like, if it's supposed to be a world golf champion, send it to another country. Look how good yeah. Mexico is. Well. That's a separate topic. But. Well, and the the Pac Northwest like swing would be really cool. Either sure. in the like, I feel like a reach around like Oregon, Seattle, yeah, Western Canada would be, you know, that'd be phenomenal. I think like she mentioned, you know, the fan support. Like, how much more feedback do we like disproportionately get from Canada? Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, Canadian fans are rabid yes. for golf, and I think it's the same in in minnesota and and you know wisconsin and so i think like hopefully some of these upper midwest events that go on later this year that we've been kind of riding hard for the last couple of years hopefully they they go off as well as as we hope they will but yeah fuck put four more events in canada would be would be awesome as far as uh tour sauce in canada i think it's definitely been on our radar oh it's gonna happen it's gonna have i just don't know when but what i would love to do if we had unlimited time is one of those like mega uh, like luxury trains from basically like Toronto to Vancouver and go across the whole country and uh, just pop off and play golf. I think that would be about as good as it gets. We are we are going north of the border next month. That's very true. Going to Cabot. That'll be very exciting. More to come on that. Hey, boys. This is Hayden calling live from Ancaster at the Hamilton Golf and Country Club at the Canadian Open presented by his prime minister. Uh, just had a question. Before the tournament, Bruce said that he couldn't care less, but Rory seems to think that it's a big open and he's thrilled to A, have one and B, just be participating in it. We're just a little confused and we're hoping you could shed some light on this. Cheers. I think we kind of touched on that a little bit with Brooks kind of basically saying he just, he just wanted the reps. But again, I think, I think the, anyone associated with the event and Canadian fans should be thrilled that it is going to be used as a launching point for the U.S. Open. If it remains in this point in the schedule, which I assume that it would be, I wouldn't get too hung up on what is this player here for? Are they here to win this or are they here to, you know, prepare for next week? I would just enjoy the fact that they that they do come. Like like we touched on, a lot of guys treat the week before a major very differently. Some guys want to take it off. Some guys want to play. Some guys are truly there to get a rep. Some guys want to win and compete. Um, so I, I wouldn't get too hung up on it. And don't be offended by Brooks not caring about your event. <laughs> he cares about like three events a year. He doesn't even care about like all the majors, I don't think. Maybe just like three out of the four majors. <laughs> and he just shows up and wins those. So don't take that personally. You should be flattered, actually, that he didn't try at your event. Yeah, I think it's a tough line for, for some of the players to walk. I mean, like, you know, if Rory comes out and says like, yeah, I'm really just kind of trying to get in a good spot for next week. Like, he's going to take criticism from fans that, oh, God, he's not really here to win. And he's focused on 
on other stuff. You know, the Canadian Open's a really big deal, guys. Like, you guys need to be fired up about this. And, you know, looking back at some of that strength of schedule stuff, like, if you, if you want to talk about, you know, back in whatever, 2010, 2013, 14, it's, it's in, like, the, the high to mid-180s. I mean, like, the Valero Texas Open this year was 213. So, it's like... Uh, on some level, it's like you can you can say it's a big deal, but until you know it actually becomes a big deal, like it, it's just kind of words. And so I hope it's trending in the right direction. I think a year like this helps it get there, hopefully. And I think going to a good golf course that yes. hopefully attracts more players. Hamilton looked awesome, um, just from a you know golf perspective. I know Glen Abbey wasn't really the the uh, crown jewel that that Canada really has to offer. So. Um, I hope it, hope it continues to go that way even more for sure. No, that was the, the big thing there was the, the different golf course. I think that made a huge difference in overall excitement for the, probably the field. And yeah, so I think also like, I know this is so obvious, but a Canadian player winning would be, oh my God. would be like one of the coolest stories yes. of the year on any year, Which you know, like it, it would mean so much and it seems like such a throwaway cliche, but I know it's not like it, that would be awesome. Um, it always seems like there's like two guys that are in the mix and they just, Shit the bet on Sunday, um, which I don't think anybody was catching Rory. But DJ's uh, retirement from coverage takes has been, uh, oh, you guys been well, gonna, do, well documented. Yeah, I'm going to go hit, hit the bathroom. Go ahead. If you, if you um, need some time. Sure. Um, I wanted to. So I was quite, quite critical of uh, how they seem to have forgotten about the Graham McDowell story until he was putting out to make the British Open with a 30 foot putt on the last hole. Um, so I said something about this online and, uh, Frank Nabilo, who I like and respect very much. And I very, am very adamant that he is most definitely not the issue that we have with a lot of television coverage. Uh, he did not take too kindly of my critique of what was otherwise, I thought a pretty, pretty boring broadcast. I thought they could have used some storylines to, to hand in there. And I said that, you know, it's kind of, kind of amazing that they had forgotten about the story. He said, not true. I was on 13. His second straight birdie was shown on that hole and what was at stake for Graham McDowell referenced and he tags Graham McDowell in it. Uh, Peter J. Costas followed up and Nance put a bow on 18. Then the interview followed. Great story. It made me start to do a little auditing. I went back into the broadcast and start looking for it. Uh, I was traveling yesterday and uh, didn't get to a TV until about an hour and a half left in the broadcast. Um, I had my girlfriend DVR it for me. So as soon as I, she got to it, start DVR. So I, I picked up the broadcast right when she started around 4.30 p.m. I watched, I, I charted it this morning while I had some coffee. It was a nice morning activity. I was again not planning on this until uh, Mr. Nabilo clapped back at me. Um, this, the stats I have for this little 30-minute uh, segment were quite staggering. Um, I, I'll just throw out some random questions to you guys. How many, how many, 30 minutes, how many golf shots do you think were shown in that time period? 14. Uh, wow, you have very little faith in CPS. Three. <laughs> three. Uh, I guess that's low. 30, yeah. 30 minutes. Uh, uh, I'm going to say 20. A couple of minutes. 30 minutes? Well, I guess I'll say, I'll say 40. Okay. 28 shots were shown and three during playing through. So how many, how many commercials do you think were played during that? 30, 30 minutes? In 30 minutes. Well, if they're 30 seconds, probably four, three breaks, 12. I was going to go a little higher, maybe 16. 23 different commercials (laughs) were played during this time. Uh, There was eight minutes of true commercials, like just actual away from coverage. I included, um, they came back in and they referenced, they came back from, so there was a stretch where we got Travelers Commercial, Omega, Walmart, RBC, PGA Tour, CBS Promo. They came back with Shane Lowry. Rory, Webb, and Lowry. 
then into a segment on the season of championships, a Konica Minolta commercial, CBS promo, Tony Awards, PGA Tour Superstore, Longhorn Steakhouse, local news, wheels up, Konica Minolta again, and then RBC, and then a segment on, on old scoreboards. That was an eight-minute segment. There were four golf shots shown from three players, and there were 15 different commercials or plugs. So those, those PJ Tour Superstore commercials shouldn't count. That's <laughs> like that's like advertorial. Randy gets really jolly when he sees the dads crying about <laughs> about uh, golf clubs or whatever. Yeah, Father's Day. Listen, guys, if you really want something special for Father's Day, <laughs> head to the PJ Tour Superstore. Get a, get a box of like bright yellow golf balls or something. <laughs> Uh, and again, the, the targeted criticism isn't necessarily aimed directly only at CBS. I think the PGA Tour is probably mostly at blame for this, more so than CBS is. Um, but this was not a random, this was not a cherry-picked 30-minute segment. That was the 30 minutes that I chose. I couldn't do any more after that. I was so frustrated. Only reason I bring this up is I wanted there to be a benchmark for what we're going to see this coming week. And I'm not going to watch the U.S. Open and chart this stuff. But if anybody out there listening wants to do a comparison... And see if we get eight minutes of commercials for 30, you know, basically almost one commercial per golf shot. So just think about that. Like every time you see a golf shot, you have to pay that off with a commercial. Like think about that the next time you're watching network golf on on the weekend and ask yourself whether or not that's a worthwhile trade. Should we talk about the Billy Horschel? Uh, You know, I feel like it's it's relevant. Like without all these commercials, they wouldn't be able to play for the money they did. That's wonderful. (laughs) What was DJ's response to that? Yeah. Well, I would saying like I don't respectfully. Yeah, respectfully. Like I don't think anyone cares how much money you play for. (laughs) Uh, Most of all, this week where you're going to play for the most money. Yeah. You know. But uh, speaking of, you just mentioned Peter Costas, who I actually really like. I think he does. I do too. I think he does an awesome job. Uh, But I was kind of admittedly I'll, I'll be the first to admit i was drifting in and out of sleep while i was watching the uh telecast and i kept waking up during those rbc commercials where he's like in the boardroom with all his shit on and he's like he's like analyzing like on course reporter like in the boardroom and i thought i was having like this weird fever dream i couldn't tell if it was like a segment that they were <laughs> rolling into the telecast or like why he wasn't on the golf course it's just very unsettling the whole the whole thing so yeah, not a coverage take. The, the numbers were staggering, and again, I actually was the beginning watching the beginning of it. I'm like, oh man, it's kind of a lot of golf. Like this is a pretty good little segment, and the whole time I'm fearing it because I'm like, if there's a lot of golf shown right now, that means something's coming. And then that very special eight minute stretch, which I think was somewhat around the time that Graham McDowell was approaching his final few holes. So yes, if they didn't have to do all that other stuff, they might have taken the time to you know deliver on that moment, which they they almost completely whiffed. Carrying on, next question. Hi, this is Ian, a long-time listener from the Bay Area, where the U.S. Open is being held this week. First, I want to shout out to uh, Randy, I think, for wrestling the Glass-Steagall Act a couple of podcasts ago. Uh, it was used correctly, and it was pretty awesome. I guess my question is around caddying, um, uh, a professional caddying. Specifically, I guess this week, I know a couple of you guys are caddying at the Pro-Am, what I don't understand when I watch on TV is there's this huge song and dance that goes on with the flag on the putting green. It sounds like the caddies are always switching flags depending on who's putting. What's the reason for that? Why doesn't someone just take the flag, put it away on the side uh, like most players do? Uh, why is there this sort of uh, uh, show that goes on? Anyway, uh, thanks, guys. Love your podcast. Bye. This is right up your alley. Big Shout guy. out to the, the Glass Steagall Act. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad somebody appreciates it. <laughs> <laughs> Love that call. Um, 
Do you guys want me to handle this? As yes. Please. Set uh, the scene though I mean, first. Listen, first of all, I'm not a professional caddy. Um, but like Neil and I are pretty close now <laughs> after our two days in Greenville. I was saying watching those two caddy for two days, it was like the scene in Zoolander when he's he's down in the mine for like for a day and he comes up and he's got the fake cough and he thinks he has the black lung. That was basically these guys. By the end of it, they're like swapping stories and like didn't even happen and they're they're just commiserating with all the other caddies that are out there every week. It was disgusting. It was kind of stolen valor a little bit. <laughs> oh, we would yeah. God, I just wish there was like a yard we could have rolled down into. Oh God, another 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 grueling one huh boys <laughs> yeah I, w- I will take a bush light thank you <laughs> just trade war stories well, um, set the scene though because we got a couple messages like oh, how dare you make the strap boys lug your staff bags around uh, greenville all week so it, the the it who was to caddy for whom at the bmw charity program was a condition of the fredx cup which i'm sure all our listeners are well aware of uh, but if you're not there's go to the competition section on our webpage, and uh, there's an explainer and you can see the standings and whatnot but anyway the the the, the stakes were the the top two guys at, at a cutoff i think it was after uh the Byron, Byron Nelson this year. Yeah, the top two guys in, in our five-person standings would play in the event, and then the bottom two guys would caddy for those two. Tron somehow, like, <laughs> weaseled out of this, and I'm going to air him out a little bit. He's not here. Um, he, he claims it was like, oh, well, like, we all – it was like – it was more like, hey, guys, I'm going to actually go do this, and so you can caddy. I was like, oh, sick. Um, <laughs> so it should have been Neil and, and Tron caddying. Um, I, I quite literally shouldered the load for Tron, <laughs> and, and he sh- continues to shame me on, on Twitter, which is just disgusting. But um, the Strap Boys were happy to do it. It felt right in our wheelhouse. Um, you know, Neil and I have, have made some tough walks before, so... <laughs> Uh, you know, doing it a couple more times with, with bags over our shoulders was, was nothing. I will say staff bags. So that's what I was getting to. The staff bags are such a pain. Like (laughs) they are not fun to carry. If I have like, that's where I got the most respect for guys is lugging around a staff bag. We did not have the bice or the, uh, the backpack, the second strap on ours, um, which is like a luxury I would have paid a lot of money for to, to have that option in, in Greenville. Um, Zach, Zach's caddy for the week, Zach Blair. He was one of the two pros. We also played with Brian Ritchie, but Zach's, Zach's caddy is a buddy of ours named Dan, uh, who just caddies a couple times a year for Zach. So I wouldn't classify, classify him as a professional. He's not a pro Jack. Yeah. But Brian Ritchie's caddy, a guy named Barry is absolutely a pro (laughs) caddy. And so I, I had a good time getting to meet him and chatting him up. And so to answer our caller's question, I actually asked Barry about the whole flag routine. And Barry's this longtime caddy. He's from Augusta. Was this before or after you dropped the bag in Brian's pre-shot routine? Um, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> not good. Um, <laughs> that's not good. It was actually uh, after. Because <laughs> I was trying to like make, make good with him. And so Barry's, Barry's been around, seen it all, total pros pro. And he was telling me. First of all, I say all this in preference, like the new flag rules have messed this all up where you can putt with the flag in. But traditionally, the player who was furthest away, his caddy would go and get the flag, right? And then he would remove it and he would hold it. And then people putt. If if somebody putts to a very close distance but puts a mark on it, in all likelihood, they'll be the last person to putt out. And if that's not your player, you would then go hand the flag to that player's caddy 
with the assumption, hey, he's going to be the last one to put out. You know, you'll be there. You put the flag back in. So that's that's the basic etiquette. Now, what Barry says, yeah, these new putting rules, man, they've messed up all this etiquette. And so now it's just kind of a, a sweepstakes. <laughs> it's a free for all. Yeah. I, I really like going to get the flag. It kind of made me feel like something like it was something for me to do. Uh, I noticed Neil. Neil didn't have much interest in getting the flag. <laughs> no. He was more interested. Who's in just, Neil? I don't understand. Who, who is that? Or the merch star. There was um, one time when I was getting Is that ready. his name anymore now? What, 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 creep. Oh, creep. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we took on name. caddy nicknames. His was creep. Mine was tree. <laughs> you know, I feel like all the good caddies have those, those one word nicknames. No, I was setting up a joke. Neil was too busy waltzing through uh, Brian Ritchie's line. <laughs> he was doing that <laughs> to, to worry about the flag. Second hole, he walks right through it. And he's like, oh, where's your line? Well, sorry. And he like shuffles his feet a little bit, trying to get out of the way. And he's in it currently. So he was more just kind of making formations into the green <laughs> through the line. Uh, and then double back and walk back through it while trying to avoid it a second time. It was we, glorious. Second hole of the, of the week. We've said this before a lot. I mean, Neil, Neil ends up being the mook a lot. Uh, much, you know by his own uh, by his own actions but the vibe that he puts out when he's not trying to be the mook and that he ends up being the mook is maybe is, is, <laughs> he gets it just gets even funnier unfortunately like one like that i mean he was just derailed for like two holes after that <laughs> he's his father's son i thought that was the best if you, if you listen to the franchise episode on the trap draw uh, you'll, you'll know so yeah the only other like we were really sore i think like hip flexors that's where it really got me um, it's, it's tough. I, like, he's that guy. I feel like I got a little bit of the black lung. Um, I, you know, I, I, I can commiserate with all those, those pro jocks. Uh, but thank you to BMW for having us out for it. Uh, DJ and I were lucky enough to get to play in it as the, having the top two teams in the, uh, in the FredX cup. I felt a little guilty about it seeing as I got to play last year, but I also didn't because you guys auto drafted my FredX cup team for me <laughs> and you had every opportunity to draft the guys that I totally. ended up with. No, and I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very true. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Shout out to Brian Ritchie finished T six, uh, my partner, uh, again, can't help feeling a little personally responsible for not making the cut, considering he finished T6 and we didn't make the cut as a team. Uh, we were one shot short. I lipped a birdie putt on the last hole that would have been three for two that would have got us. I'm glad we didn't make the cut. That would have been a miserable. It was really hot. The wet, the rainy. rainy and it was uh, yeah. Saturday. Turn, it was like a wash. It would have been yeah. Yeah, it was bad. Not a, not, it was fun, though. We had, a, we, had, we had a lot of fun and we had a, a week-long competition. DJ and his partner, Zach, against myself and Mr. Ritchie. And the loser, um, we, the, the winner, winner gets a $150 budget to the app Cameo, <laughs> which is an app where you can pay celebrities uh, a certain amount of money and have them deliver a message to the loser. And so I got to go th- scrolling through Cameo to pick out a uh, somebody that to, to, to roast DJ a little bit for his finish. Yeah, it's... Uh that app that was maybe the main takeaway of the whole week that, that kind of blew my mind i didn't know anything about it we met um we met ben rector uh singer songwriter uh at dinner one night and and just ended up he was kind of saying like oh god my agent wanted me to like look into this and i looked into it and he's like first of all like there's absolutely no way i'm gonna do this and second of all it's the most fascinating thing on the face of the earth uh just going through and like seeing what celebrities charge and what they uh what they who's still around and who's making money doing this it's it's quite a uh it's quite a quite a scene on there so yeah look look for that i'm sure solly will I'll have find no problem tweet, have, tweeting we, that and sharing that far and wide if you guys yeah it. if anybody sees a good celebrity on there that would be good for within my 150 fifty dollar budget to 
to deliver a message. Please send that my way. But it was fun. Better showing for myself than last year. That's for sure. I found the club face at least a little bit. But uh, yeah, I left a few out there. Yeah, Deej did. Well, <laughs> Deej did not play his best golf. No. But what was funny is you. I, I made this point as we were coming up, like the 18th hole. DJ birdied the 16th and 17th holes at Thornblade which was more birdies than I made in that round. I made 17 pars in a birdie, which is absolutely worthless in a pro-am. DJ hit it all over the map, made two birdies, and contributed more to his team than I did. Yeah, it was very Phil. Uh, it was a Phil kind of finish. You're an all-or-nothing kind of guy. Exactly. So. It's kind of like a backdoor top top 25 or something. Uh, yeah. Oh, I tried to... I, and I don't know how much you could have done, but it's like in, in that format, you're better off making five birdies oh, for sure. and 13 quads <laughs> right. than 17 parts in a birdie. For yeah. sure. Yeah. I was chasing pins. Randy's like, we got to get after some of these pins. He started talking like a caddy. <laughs> we got to get after some of these pins, man. Well, you kept taking three iron off the tee. I was like, oh, take driver. I did driver. like twice. Oh, so like two different holes. I knew what I was doing. I just couldn't make, it, couldn't make any putts. Uh, trouble in paradise. But Did you was, tell Randy he's fired, by the way? Oh, yeah. Sorry to let you go. But <laughs> Sorry to do this to you, like uh, live on the air. Dis- yeah. Dishonorable or honorable discharge? Honorable discharge. Okay. Um, DJ Pie has volunteered to take on my bag at USAM qualifying this summer. Oh, so Okay, um, cool. Um, Will you make him carry the staff? <laughs> I just thought about that. I was like, I kind of have to make him carry the staff bag. Uh, I can't show up at USAM qualifying with a staff bag and shoot 85. Mr. Though, Jones, so. that would not be in the spirit of Mr. Jones. <laughs> um, why don't we move ahead uh, and let's start finally talking about the US Open. Hey guys, Scott from Annapolis. Been wrestling with something now that it's U.S. Open week. Uh, more question, try to stretch the realm of your guys' expertise here. Now you've been world travelers. Um, it, basically, the nut of the question is, is Pebble Beach actually as good as people say it is, or is it basically become like fiat currency where, you know, it's just accepted as being this good, and now everyone just sort of just agrees that it is it is that good i i've been there i enjoyed it but how does it compare to some of your travels and do you think it's worth the rating or uh, are we just economically all buying into the, the the biggest ponzi scheme in course ratings uh thanks guys keep it up bye what a great question i'll let you guys start i touched on this a little bit with bacon but i'll let you guys start i think that it is as good or better at, uh, than advertised. I wow. absolutely freaking love it. I love, love, love it. And I know it's not like there are better. Um, I don't know. I kind of painted myself in a corner with that intro, but I think there are better, more interesting, more strategic golf courses in the world. But watching like a U.S. Open, I don't like. I don't know where in the states I would rather see someone go play. Like I think. The setting is amazing, and if if you've ever been there for a professional golf tournament, like it's just like as much fun as you can as you can have watching pro golf. I think I think this is having a shorter course with thicker rough is going to be so kind of the antithesis of of what we've seen uh, the past four or five years. And uh, I'm just I'm literally getting on a plane because I'm so excited. (laughs) I I wanted to go watch it so bad that I after sectional qualifying I was like, all right, I I I have to go to this. This is going to be so fun. I do not, and it's not because I'm, I just don't have those feelings. And it's because I don't really know the course. So I can't answer the question. I'm not, I'm not a good judge. I've, I've never walked it in person. I've obviously never played it. So I'm, I'm refraining. Respectfully. I think <laughs> with all due respect. It's probably two different categories here. We're, if we're talking about courses that you would want to play in your life or watch the U.S. Open, I think it's two different conversations. Totally agree. 
I think that I don't even. I've never played it, and I don't even like. It's not even at the top of my list of courses I'd want to play. I just I, think that's awesome. why I think he might be asking more than more than more so than like watching a U.S. Open at it. Yeah, which I think there are, and I t- told this to Bacon. I think there's definitely. I've played Pebble Beach, and I've gotten to play a, a lot of really good courses, as you may have alluded to. And I, I, Pebble doesn't come, spring to mind as like that's the place I'd want to go back to right immediately. It's part of which is like part of the experience. Like it was right. like six hours to play it. It's so expensive. You got to stay at the lodge. You've got to do all the like jump through all the hoops just to play the golf course, which, yeah, I, I agree. That is completely not my vibe at all. Which this is going to sound mega super hipstery and probably pretty frustrating. But like if I was playing either Pebble or Sweetens tomorrow, like I would probably be more excited for Sweetens. Yeah. Because it's like I get the run of the place when we go there. And it's when you and anybody pays to play like you can basically do whatever you want there. You can play as many holes as you want and they got all kinds of deals and it's, you feel very comfortable because it's so affordable and it's just that, that is a big difference maker. Now the actual golf course, listen, that setting from holes like four through 10 is you, you can't beat it. Like it's, it's sick. Like the design of the holes is tremendous. Like you said, it's not the most strategic golf holes necessarily. I think six has a ton of strategy to it. Eight has a ton of strategy to it, but for the most part, it's just like you are next to the ocean playing some on some unbelievable landscape. There's whales breaching in the background and like that matters to a golf experience. That's, However, this, well, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, <laughs> this is this is where you, you always get into the conversation with any architecture person where it's like, you know, if it wasn't on the ocean, like it just it wouldn't be that highly rated. It's like, yeah, but it fucking is, yeah. man. And it's so cool <laughs> when you're out there. And I, I'm done pretending like I can separate I those, totally agree. those two things. And I, I think can't. about when we talked about on the last on the on the travel in the California podcast episode about Sandpiper, how we, it was yeah. not architecturally interesting, really. But we were both by the sea all day. And like at the end of it, Tron was like kind of ripping on the architecture. And we were like, I was like, I don't I didn't even think about that today because we we're just by the ocean and having a great time. Yeah. So. I do think that, like, if I, again, to, for another comparison, I said this to Bacon. If I if it was between Bandon and Pebble to play tomorrow, like, I'd probably want to want to play Bandon for sure. Which I know sounds uh, no, you know, going to be sacrilegious to some people, but and I do think that because it's been ranked so highly for so long, you ju- you can't just drop it now. Like, you can't be like now Pebble Beach is the fifteenth best course and not the third. Like, you can't <laughs> I do know that. Change nothing. But yes, drop twelve spots this year. I think in a, I uh, this is going to be a popular topic this week. I'd imagine, but like, I think with green expansion and they've started to do some of that, I think the course could be way more interesting. And I'm maybe the fear I have the most this week is with how small the greens are and how thick the rough is going to be around the greens that we're going to see a ton of chips from one yard off the green. Yeah. And the bunkers don't go up into the green surfaces. Like there's rough between the bunkers and the greens. And I think that helps you keep the ball even closer. The ball doesn't roll away down into the bottom of a bunker. And I, unless you're above the the hole, I don't think that presents a very challenging shot to professionals. Yeah, it's going to look a lot like Beth Page in that way. That's what I'm fearing. Uh, I'm fearing that it's going to be yeah, missed fairway and then also missed green because you can't hold the green from the rough and everyone kind of chipping from the same spot. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think there's there's something to be said too. I, I know Andy Johnson has beat this drum really hard and made me think a lot differently about it. But I think that you know, when you have the megaphone that Pebble has, there are things you could do that would encourage uh, good trends in golf. And I think that's where some of the frustration comes from, you know, about, hey, if you look at an old picture of the seventh from, you know, the 1929 US Amateur or something like, yeah, it looks a lot different and it looks a lot more rugged and it looks a lot less pristine. And if that was okay, then it would be okay at a lot more golf courses and we'd use less water and it would be less expensive and 
all of those things are completely, completely, completely true. And I agree with all of them. But the thought of then going in and saying, hey, Pebble Beach Corporation or, you know, Del Monte Corporation or whoever owns it, like, I know you're sold out all day, every day from now until the end of time. But could you just shut down completely (laughs) from all these people who want to spend like two grand a piece all in uh, and just just so we can like kind of make it look more rustic and you're not going to make any more money or whatever um but just it'd be like a cool thing to do like can you guys go do that like i'm not uh, that would be strikingly unfair <laughs> to ask anybody to do i agree it's i agree with si- that. similar with tpc sawgrass where it's like dude could could you shut down and do a total renovation of what that course used to look like when it opened and i think it would encourage a lot better trends like for sure but if we go there right now i guarantee there are eight groups lined up on the tee box ready to go ah, get it contraire they're they're shut down uh, currently well, whatever you know what I'm, you know what i'm saying oh just debunking the whole point no i agree with what, exactly what you said however i think the exact things that we just laid out keep it from being the golf course that i think is like whatever the fifth ranked course in the world yeah. so do i think it's overrated slightly yeah i, I think no, it's I think incredible yeah, yeah i think it i know i'm speaking out of every side of my mouth but like i think it can be overrated i think it can be you know, not on my top 10 list of courses like I'd like to go play tomorrow. Uh, but also I love it and I'm excited for this week. I just think that there's probably six, seven, eight holes out there that are very much just okay golf holes. And the golf courses that make me think like every single one of the, like, gosh, what is my least favorite hole in this course? And you can't think of one. Yeah. Whereas Pebble, I could throw out five holes that are just like, okay, this is not. What would they be? Like off the top of my head, 14 is one of them. I think 16. I thought 14 was cool when it had the mega unfair green. I thought that was sick. <laughs> uh, one is very uninteresting, I think. I mean, two is pretty uninteresting, and there's not really much unique about that hole. Uh, three is okay, but kind of a weird, funky little golf hole. Um, I mean, 13 and 15, I have trouble differentiating between the two, honestly, off the top of yeah. my head. When I think about it, the 12 is just very much an okay par three. Um, and once you come inland, I just think it's just the, the, the holes are just, aren't that interesting. Yep. No, I think that's fair. Yeah. So I, I think that if they had expanded the greens, if the, whenever you see really circular greens or really well rounded off greens, it probably just means that over time the greens have just shrunk. And when, and you see that, I think it could be so much more interesting with bigger greens because the contours of the greens are really interesting yeah. and like it, it matters what part of the green that you're in. But when the greens are that small, it, it just matters so much less. Yep. So, agree. Rumor has it the tree on eighteen is uh, is in rough. Yeah, that's, that's gross. what I've heard. That's all I have. tell me. <laughs> quick aside, but how do you feel about trees in fairways? I'm glad you asked. I I love them. I could not love them anymore. I I'm all for chaos on the golf course. I agree. I, I think they're sick. Moving on. Yep. All right. This is uh, Sweet Jimmy here. Just wondering if you guys thought uh, Tiger was going to win by ten, fifteen, or twenty strokes. Thanks. That's all I got. Sweet Jimmy. Legend. Are those our three choices? <laughs> <laughs> I'll go 20 then if that's the case. Yeah. No, I, I think Tiger's going to play great this week. It's set up very well for him. I thought uh, Beth Page was not great, but this is going to be... Uh, it, uh, Tiger should be there. If he finished outside the top 10, I think it would be an extreme disappointment. And I think this is one of his best chances to win a major at like a venue that's not Augusta in the next five-ish years or so. Yeah, I agree. What, what makes it such a good venue for him? I think it's going to be 7,000 yards, something like that. And the holes that he'll have to hit driver are, I don't know. I mean, probably on two, he'll have to hit driver. Nine and 10, it's going to depend on what the wind does. But those are the only other really long par fours. 
six is probably not even a driver for him anymore. Probably a three wood and an iron to reach that green. Iron off one, iron on three, iron off four unless he tries to drive it. And if in, in golf courses that require him to just hit long irons and then mid irons on the greens and become a ball striking competition, those are the majors that he wins. Yeah. And it's it, DJ is not going to be able to have this huge advantage. And DJ plays really well here, but it's not because he bombs it past everyone and eliminates trouble. Like that's this is not the golf course to do that. And uh, I thought I just think it's not going to be a driving competition. And when that's when it's automatically when it's not a driving competition, Tiger's chances of winning skyrocket, I think. Yeah, agree. Hello, this is Dickie from the Deuce. I was hoping you all would expand on your predictions a little bit more this week and have somebody you think will win, who you should fade, who you want to win and who you don't want to win. Thanks and roll tide. No free ads on the Roll Tide. What's the deuce? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Thank you, Dickie, from Dickie the deuce. Dickie from the deuce. Randy, why don't you start us? I, there are like eight predictions that you need to make. <laughs> yeah, let me know if I miss one. Okay. Um, who? Okay, let's start here. Who do I want to win? Mickelson. Yeah. yeah. Grand Slam, great story. He he has to cash one at some point. Were you mad at me for leaving him out of my tweet last night? I was. It was disrespectful. I think it's exactly the kind of chip on his shoulder. Perfect. That, That's fine. That he needs. Um, the, only, the last image I had going through my mind was him running after a putt at Shinnecock. And he, he's not at the top of my list for uh, for possibilities this week. Happy to be wrong. Continue. So who to fade? I'm, I'm going to take some liberty here. I think we should just roll in who to fade with who definitely will not win. Because I feel like it's the ultimate fade, if you will. Uh, so... Usual cast of characters. We'll start with Ricky. Of course, he's not going to win. <laughs> and then... Seems like a good course for him. The other person who definitely is not going to win, I will go with... Um, I'm going to go with Rory. I don't yeah. think he, I don't think he's going to back it up. I think he may have peaked too early. And for those that are new to tuning in, you have to pick... We always pick for the majors. You have to pick somebody who won't win, but it has to be somebody that like has a really good... Like, basically one of the top 15 guys on the odds sheet, so... Oh, and then I, I actually discovered who's actually going to win just oh, yeah. earlier today. Oh, really? Yeah, I was really oh, excited. Cool. And I think... I don't know if I've ever been more confident about something. Uh, Xander Shoffley is going to win. Oh, sweet. Ooh, yeah. I like that pick. pick. Well, that's a really good pick. Wow, that's got to be cool. Where'd you, did you stumble? Was that on a blog that said that? Or was that... <laughs> uh, where'd you find that? CallawayGolf.com. <laughs> oh, did they? No. I'm oh, kidding. I'm like, well, maybe there was something out there. Uh, no, I start with the odds, but... He's played two U.S. Opens. Do you know what he's finished? Second and third. Tied for fifth, tied for sixth. That was close. And he's got a, yeah, he's he's going to win. I, I can't believe it. It's <laughs> it's over. It all came to me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to also, I had uh, already pre-planned Rory for my will not win the U.S. Open, uh, who I would like to see win the most, the, the big cat. I mean, as great as the Masters was, like, if he wins 16, this becomes a very real thing. And, like, the one thing that can really take golf to the next level in the next five years is him actually making a real pursuit at 18 i'm not saying anything that's news to anyone but uh that's the one that stands out to me the most but my pick to win it was my pick at the beginning of the year and last week tommy fleetwood that's really good um yeah it seems like a you know again kind of perfect perfect course for him the shorter it is the more guys are going to be brought into it which is which is great um what was the order pick Pick to win, whatever or, you like. Who uh, you like to win? Who, well, who, I'd, who I'd like to win? Obviously, I would say the cat as well. I'll I'll go a little further down the list. Uh, you know, the cool thing about the U.S. Open is you have sectional qualifying, which means you have uh, some people get into majors uh, that that don't typically get in. So 
we've got a couple of friends of the program uh zach blair and luke guthrie both got in the field so you know not the longest hitters in the world it'd be fun to see them actually contend at a uh, a golf course where things are a little shorter um you know not not predicting a win necessarily but i think going uh, and seeing seeing what they can do on a golf course like that would be really fun so who i think is gonna win i'm gonna say brooks i'm not i'm not Six, I'm six, not dis- six. disrespecting anyone. I, I've learned my lesson. Here I thought Brooks was not going to get mentioned, and I thought no. it was going to be disrespectful, no, I but this it, is worse. Picked him to win the PGA. Uh, you know, I, I I don't... Like, what would change in your mind that he's he's not going to win? He's for sure going <laughs> to win. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's just... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. If you, if you had to pick somebody to win a major championship right now, I, I think the best odds is probably Brooks. So I'm going to go ahead and take him. Well, I for Brooks specifically, pick him I, as your guy who won't win. I you feel, won't. I won't. I already picked Rory, but I feel like this is the classic. You know, took so long to be convinced. Do you think now it's we're tra- finally you think convinced. It's a trap game. Yeah, it's a trap game. <laughs> now that we're convinced on him, now picking him, like it's when he'll stop. He'll stop winning them. But I think he's going to do think. I think people are going to think that, and that he's just going to keep winning him. And this this could be famous last words. I actually do think like winning three in a row might be like the first time that he actually has to think about something with expectations. And could weigh on him a little bit. Yeah. You may have all that scar tissue from winning the PGA, too. <laughs> That's true. I forgot about that. I forgot about how many bad vibes he took away from, from winning the PGA. Gosh, my pick for who won't win, even though it's like a perfect golf course for him and he's maybe the best iron player in the world, I'm going to say Justin Rose. All right. He's not playing very well. That's good. He's not playing yeah, very well. It's a safe one. That's a little scummy. <laughs> He's a little scummy. He's like the fourth ranked player in the world. <laughs> All right. Let's fire through the last few here. We're running a bit long. Sup, fellas. This is Sam in Austin, Texas. I know we're all hyped on Brooks this week, as we should be, being four time major champion that he is and just seems to come to play in these events. But I was doing a little homework, and it appears that Pebble tips out at only a little over 7,000 yards. It doesn't really seem to play to his advantage or a guy like DJ, who everyone's touting this weekend. I'm almost thinking this could be more of a Kuchar, Kisner, Molinari type week. Let me know what you boys think. Thanks. Not all of us are high on Brooks this week, apparently. I think I I wanted to include this caller because I think, to his point, Kuchar, no. I mean, Kuchar does not a factor in major championships. But, like, for somebody like Molinari, Molinari, Kisner, that type, like, for sure, this golf course opens up the possibility that they can be there. And that's great. And that's what we want to encourage. It does not mean that DJ and Kepka can't or won't play well at exactly. it. Exactly. No, I think Tron on the PGA podcast said it said it the, the best or most simply, which is, like, when you play a course like Beth Page Black, it's like it feels like there's five or six guys that can win. So you're if you're Brooks or Rory or JT or Dustin or I don't know who else, maybe like Finau or something. You know, it's like you're kind of competing in this like almost like mini tournament of five, six guys. Whereas when you're playing at Pebble, you know, now all of a sudden there's 50 guys that can win and you're just your odds, you know, go down that much. Uh, that still doesn't mean that the longest players in the world aren't going to have like a significant advantage over the shorter players in the world. Uh, so that's why I, you know, I still think it's Brooks, but like, you know, it, it just lets everybody else back into it, which is great for golf, by the way. Like, I think that's, I think that's what's so cool about this is like stretching these things out to such long golf courses. I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, but like, it doesn't, 
it doesn't neuter the bombers it just like gives them an even bigger advantage For you sure. know and so I, that's why another reason i'm so excited to see this week i'll quickly agree with that um i i think it'd be i'm kind of ready and i know we just went through like who we want and uh but all that being said i i I'm kind of ready for an out of the box winner, I yeah. think, or at least a couple of guys really in the mix, uh, which I feel like for some reason, I, you know, that's kind of off the top of my head. I, we just haven't had that in a really long, long time. time. It's crazy. Can you tell me who was runner up at the last uh, U.S. Open at Pebble Beach? Graham McDowell obviously won it, but it's like David Duvall, Gregory Hevray. <laughs> oh, Gregory Hevray. That's right. <laughs> like everyone, like it. To your point, exactly what you said. I'm, I'm. I just. I can't wait to see how this is all going to play out. And we haven't talked much USGA on this, but this is the golf course that, like, if you screw this one up, players are going to riot. Yeah, like absolutely riot. And I'm just. I don't know what they can really screw up. Like, I don't know what it, the blueprint is there. Right. I, know. Like, I don't know what what you can do differently. If the greens become too too baked out. If yeah. they put the pins on knobs that people can't get to, they can. Trust me. Believe me, they can. Um, I that it's. But to that point, it's a wide open tournament. And when you hear people say that, it's because, like we said, it's just not a driver requirement golf course. And what happened to Beth Page was everyone was missing fairways because they're tight and they're going to be tight at Pebble. But the guys that were missing it so far down were having wedges and stuff into it. Whereas like Spieth is trying to chop six irons out of the rough. Out here, Spieth isn't going to be chopping six irons out of the rough. It's got, guys are going to be chopping nine irons and stuff. And whereas, you know, the longest guys are maybe chopping wedges. And it's not as big of a difference maker, and it's not a prerequisite. Hey, I'm at a rock show. This is Tony. I'm, uh, uh, are we done with these uh, videos of people throwing balls in the rough and saying that it's too thick and complaining about course setup? Are we just done with that? Thanks. I want to lend my full support to uh, <laughs> prioritizing the information that you give to the callers, which is number one, I'm at a rock show. <laughs> number two, this is Tony. <laughs> so I think that is far more important. Uh, Tony, if you, I'm ready, if you say, I'm ready for it to be done. If you say so, I'm, I'm willing to follow you. I'm in on those videos because it's like, what, like, what else are we going to talk about? We need shit to talk about. But like Patrick Canley went and dropped a ball in the, in the hazard. Sorry, in the penalty area. It was like, whoa, look at the rough just off the green. It was like... Yeah, don't hit it. Yeah, like that's kind of part of the deal, man. Like, Do we know, was he being... It was like a... It was almost like a performance art piece. Like people were just projecting all these different intentions on him. And like, I don't know that he... Maybe it's just because he's like so flatlined. It's like, was he upset about that? Was he highlighting that it was cool? Was it maybe players very like take, interesting. A, take a vote on like, all right, who's going to be the one to do it? Complain about the all right. It's always very random draws, people. Draws. But remember, at Aaron Hills, they went and took a took a <laughs> weed whacker to the fescue right before the tournament started. That's one of the great. If anyone ever does like kind of an oral history of like the players versus the USGA, uh, that's a moment that I would love to hear more information about. That that decision being made at at USGA head, tournament headquarters, like uh, we, everybody, I don't know, just fucking cut it down. Like whatever, people are complaining, just cut it down. We were like, remembered this a couple of months ago. DJ's reaction was like, "Oh, dude, I forgot." They just went like. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, that was the best. the best. All right, next caller. Hey, guys, this is Taylor in Phoenix. Uh, I just have a couple quick questions. Um, is it possible we see Rory add a John Deere Classic to go for the elusive secondary major uh, Grand Slam? And then also, is it possible that Brooks Kepka 
it's just a cheaper version of Kawhi Leonard. Um, a lot of the same personality characteristics, just not quite as weird. Thanks, guys. That's fascinating. I had never really thought about the second tier, you know, kind of the second tier of major Grand Slam, which I assume would be the players, the John Deere. He's lobbying for the Canadian Open. I don't know what would be kind of like the season ender for that. Maybe like the Barracuda. We used to have the pay. Tron and I used to joke, and Solly used to joke about the Paychecks Cup. Shout out Jeff Sluman's uh, <laughs> hat sponsor. And it was, yeah, it was like the John Deere uh, Travelers, the old Reno Tahoe, the Barracuda. Uh, and then the fourth was always like the Sanderson Farms or, you know, the one in Mississippi. Well, more on that as it as it develops, I guess. But yeah, yeah Rory in very heady territory to accomplish something that probably hasn't been done in a while. Not since J.J. Henry, maybe, has somebody done that. I was more intrigued by the Kawhi versus Kepka question, sure. which uh, Kepka is not nearly as weird as Kawhi is, which I don't know if the, the story that just got circulated this week of like the team was like all at a restaurant or something. No, it's fake. The, oh no way well that's half the bit is like there are all these fake anecdotes oh, now in the I whole the, well the whole purpose is like you don't know what's real because he, <laughs> he is kind of a weird dude you're referring to the apple time yeah <laughs> damn it that was like really interesting to me i gotta follow this a little bit yeah I, I heard i was listening to the uh levitar show and that one is fake all right well anyways Kepka's more like too cool for school about everything and like what, what, what why is nobody talking about me like oh i don't care i don't care about nobody talking about me and like Kawhi literally doesn't care it seems like at least um i don't know you guys i don't know basketball you guys is you guys well i don't i'm afraid to say anything now because i'm i don't know what's real and what's fake out there so <laughs> randy's yeah you know randy played a little bit he's, um, he's the arbiter of basketball Kawhi's a weird dude i love Kawhi. i don't think of brooks in quite that way um so I'm going to pass on that specific comparison. All right, let's wrap. Uh, we got, I think, two more. Let's do these quickly and we're done. Hi, this is Adam from California. I just have a question. How do we feel about Brooks Koepka if he would win the U.S. Open this week? That would be at five majors for him. So let's say if he got to like 20 majors, but only 30 tour wins total, so only 10 other PGA Tour wins other than you know 20 majors, would that be a greatest of all time career? Or where do you rank tour wins in comparison? Majors. I know this has been asked before, but I think it could be clarified better. Thanks. Bye. Was that was that sped up to like one and a half? Was, a, yeah, he was. He, he was ready to get in and out, to do, which is good. Uh, this is Randy's block the, for the most part: major yeah. wins versus PGA Tour wins. I, I think it's all. It's just major. If, if Brooks wins twenty, I don't. I don't care what else he. Can you tell me how many PGA Tour wins Jack Nicklaus has? Eighty, so I don't know. Like, who cares? No, nobody cares. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. That's what I was. Yeah. Well, and Jack's whole thing is like, well, they're always like changing what what was actually a win and what's not, which I kind of agree with. Like, yeah. who cares? The Tigers' eighty-one wins is way more impressive than Sam Snead's eighty-two. Like, yeah. there's like a four-ball counted in his eighty-two wins and like some really <laughs> random stuff. But especially look at Tigers' seven or eight wins at the WGC Mexico. Yeah, <laughs> it's always good to look at the uh, the stat sheet. Um, they just moved all his his Doral wins over to Mexico. Yeah, if, if we're gonna say that the majors mean as much as they do, which to us I think they do, then yeah, if he wins twenty and win, I I, I think it's more likely that he'll get to twenty majors. Than it is, it'll get to ten PGA Tour wins. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Starting starting to seem like that until they, I don't know, maybe the USGA or the PGA, or like maybe these kind of trends will come and go, and they're they're changing setups or changing courses or who knows how things can change over the next couple of years. Last one. Hey, this is Sam from Georgia. Uh, after Rory's resurrection, akin to Lazarus, 
how much disrespect does BK get this coming week at the U.S. Open? How much does BK become the forgotten man and Rory is now the pack leader? Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, always love listening to the pod. I don't know. I just want to cover all bases with Kepka disrespect <laughs> here. I think uh, I think this will be the least disrespected that Kepka will ever feel. Like I think he's gonna. Yeah, like I was I gonna said, say. I think we've. I think we're through the. We've reached the tipping point on the the Kepka stuff. I think he's front of people's minds. Well, you're not calling him Mister Kepka yet, so <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. That's true. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if he once can he truly this, feel respect. Once he gets to those twenty majors, then we'll we can talk. I think the four majors. He's now, regardless of what he shoots, he's getting media requests after every round, and it's he's not flying under anybody's radar. I think he's probably going to be what the, they paired me with an amateur. This is bullshit. <laughs> like, what the hell is this? Tiger didn't get paired with an amateur, uh, which is a joke because he's paired with the U S amateur champ, which is how they do the pairings. But thank you. Um, just in case, just in case <laughs> somebody will reply with like, well, traditionally that's why they do the tea times this way. <laughs> um, anybody else have anything else to add before we kick off uh, us open week? I'm psyched. I'm thrilled. Thrilled for this week. I'm going to be uh, providing some on the ground uh, reporting for the live show. I'll be sending back some videos from you guys for you guys on uh kind of Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, we'll, we'll get those going, but you guys can be able to run the live show without me. You got I, all that figured out. That's a out. question. Randy's asking questions. I mean, it's going to be like 1030. Like I'm going to be kind of tired. That <laughs> <laughs> might just be me on the live show. Yeah, but Randy also, you get to sleep in until noon. Oh, I was going to say that's the one dynamic we haven't talked about is primetime. Oh gosh. I think, Everybody on the East Coast is really looking forward to. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. The ratings should be great. Um, more golf on the West Coast, especially in the summer, is uh, celebrated. So, yeah, everyone enjoy one of the best weeks of the year. We only have a couple of these left, and then uh, it's going to get pretty quiet. I think uh, in the world of professional golf for quite some time. So, enjoy it, and uh, congrats to Tommy Fleetwood on the win. <laughs> Cheers! Crack on! Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect any.